So surprise, we are back for kind of a, an impromptu Valentine's Day special, which not only a surprise for you, but a surprise for us as well, because about 24 hours ago, I got the idea that maybe we should do a Valentine's Day special. And I texted Callie and luckily she was game. So here we are. We've just kind of thrown this together last minute. So sorry if it's like a little bit <laughs> rambly, but Welcome I mean, to our attempt at madness for Valentine's <laughs> Day. Oh, I mean, what's what would you rather have? Us doing the episode now and it being slightly disjointed but kind of fun or waiting a year for us to forget about it and then not do it at all. So here we are. Hope it's good. Well, I kind of got the idea because I was looking at my bookshelf and I saw my copy of The Poetry of Thomas Wyatt and I thought... That would make a really good Valentine's Day special is talking about poetry, particularly love poetry. And instead of waiting an entire year and just doing it next year, I thought, actually, if we kind of just work hard for the next few days, we can get it out and give you guys kind of a fun episode. So, I mean, without further ado, let's uh, let's talk about some love poems for Valentine's Day. So, Lister Hunt, I know where is an hind, but as for me, alas, I may no more. The vain travail hath wearied me so sore. I am of them that farthest cometh behind. Yet may I, by no means, my weary mind, draw from the deer, but as she fleeth before, fainting I follow. I leave off, therefore. Sithenes in a net, I seek to hold the winds. Who list her hunt, I put him out of doubt. As well as I may spend his time in vain, Engraven with diamonds in letters plain, There is written her fair neck round about. Nolly me, Tangeri, for Caesar's I am, And wild for to hold, though I seem tame. I would like to say a very big thank you to um, my friend who read this um, after some gentle bullying, nice bullying, and some persuasion and the promise of beer. Um, we have a Tom Wyatt, so hope you all enjoy hearing him read it. But yeah, I think poems like this are always more fun read out loud. Good job, Tom Wyatt. Okay, but... So, Kelly, why are we talking about this particular Tom Wyatt poem and in fact Tom Wyatt at all that's a great question Kate I'd love to tell you thank you so much for asking enlighten me well so I'm gonna blow your mind this poem which is often referred to as who whoso list to hunt otherwise known as sonnet six because it doesn't officially have a name is rumored to be about Mr. Thomas Wyatt, or Sir Thomas Wyatt, I get his title right, Sir Thomas Wyatt's Feelings for Anne Boleyn. And this isn't the only poem that um, Miss, uh, uh, Thomas Wyatt is um, purported to have written about Anne. There are many. I thought it was funny that when researching for this, I was looking at, you know, my bookshelf is filled with 
Anne Boleyn related books and like history books specifically about Tudors. So of course they all tell me that Tom Wyatt was a court poet at, you know, Henry VIII's court. He got caught up in all the Anne Boleyn drama. So it's natural, I think, for them to look at his work his catalog of works and to try to find references to potentially his feelings for Anne or their rumored affair if there was one and yet the same isn't true for people who just study Wyatt as a poet and people who study early modern poetry and literature as a whole they keep ambiguous and they say things like this poem is rumored to maybe be about Anne Boleyn like it's it's very up in the air and they acknowledge the idea potentially but they also acknowledge the fact that we don't know for sure whereas all of the Anne Boleyn people are like oh this this one mentions a brunette so it must be Anne and that's kind of what we want to talk about on the episode is go into the poems because they're really fun and we learned a lot about them just as poems in their own right and how kind of cool and important they are in English literature but also to kind of bust some of the myths, sorry. Just to segue more into Thomas Wyatt, he's actually super interesting. Wyatt has an interesting life. We're not going to get into too much of it because we do kind of want to focus on his poetry side, that side of him. But just to give you a little bit of context and background, so Wyatt was born in Kent, family friends with the Boleyns, you know, they were all kind of the, the Kent crew down there. But he comes to the court of Henry VIII in 1515, and he really works his way up. He has a ton of different jobs. He, at one point, is working as an ambassador. He's part of the delegation that Henry sends to Rome to first kind of propose the idea of uh, Henry's divorce with Catherine of Aragon, and he's there for the sack of Rome in 1526, so he gets caught up in all of that drama. He he has a weird role in the sense that he gets to interact with pretty much all of our queens, which is rare. During this time where he's at court and, you know, he's even involved with the annulment proceedings and things like that, Catherine of Aragon's asking him to translate things for her. So he already, you know, even in the 1520s, has this reputation for being someone who is adept at language, um, which I think is quite interesting. I can't remember the name of the poem that she asked him to translate, but he asked her to translate one. She asked him to translate one, and his response was, no, that one's boring, I'm going to do a different one. I'll see if I can find the name of it, and I'll we'll put Good it on Instagram. <laughs> but he was like, no, that was boring. <laughs> I understand that, though. If you're going to be doing this project, you might as well be interested in it. <laughs> so, well, I think that's what he thought, too. He's like, that's a waste of my time. Um, but he is really, I think this should be an exam question or a thesis question, if no one else has done it before, of Thomas Wyatt, ultimate courtier. Because, like you said, you know, he is an ambassador. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's working his way up at court. But he's also, you know... He's got the physicality about him for as much as we know about Thomas Wyatt. You know, he is tall. Um, he's about, he's meant to be about six foot tall. Which just a, a little detail for you to remember, we'll get back to it potentially in a second, is the same height as Henry VIII. That is important. <laughs> remember that. <laughs> um, you know, he likes to compete in jousts. 
he likes sport. Like who else you might hear you ask? That is a very good question. Henry VIII. Um, he writes poems. Um, like someone we know. <laughs> You're right. He is kind of the ultimate courtier in the in the way that Henry likes his courtiers. He likes them to be multifaceted. He likes them to be athletic. He likes them to be attractive. He likes them to be interested in art, uh, humanities, music. So he's the kind of guy who, like, if you had a fantasy about, you know, going to court and having somebody kind of like fall in love with you and having a good time, he's he's there. He's that kind of guy that you would want to be there. Yeah, I, he's got everything that you want. And very kind of early on, you know, he goes to Cambridge. He's a he's a very well learned man, but he develops this interest in Renaissance literature, which is you know, a thing at court. Um, Henry is interested in it. The queen, Catherine is interested in it, but he kind of takes it to the next level because he starts to experiment with poetry of his own. He's particularly interested in Italian poetry and the poetry of Petrarch. And Petrarch is most famous in literature for inventing the sonnet. And though we associate sonnets, I think more with like Shakespeare and later English literature, you know, Elizabethan literature. It's actually Thomas Wyatt who kind of pioneers it in England. His are the first sonnets written in English. So whatever kind of cute little poems that other courtiers are writing and however much like Henry VIII is dabbling in it, Wyatt's like actually revolutionizing the genre of English literature. So he's taking it one step further. He knows what he's doing. Well, it begs a conversation, I think which I know will dismay you because you hate talking about this, about wider courtly love and courtly romance. We've talked about it on the show before, particularly as regards Henry, because Henry was really into this too. But the idea of courtly romance is that everybody at court is playing a game all the time, especially in the public places, like at uh, you know the public functions. And it's kind of inspired by their idea of what medieval society was like, that you have the knights and the fair maidens, you have all of these people who are in love constantly, and maybe it's not brought to the physical peak, but it is lots of flirtation, it's lots of poetry, it's lots of dancing. And I think flirting is the key thing here, but knowing that there is a line. And I mean, yes, people cross that line and uh, it did bubble over into its own things. And that's, a it, yeah, like I said, it's like the what if. And I think Wyatt's poems do a very good job of that because it's, uh, you've not returned my love, but I'm going to tell you how I feel anyway. And it's the culture that I think Anne Boleyn is so good at because she yeah. comes to court and having been at the French court where this is absolutely also a thing, except heightened she's so good at playing these games that she suddenly has all these admirers people are looking at her it's how she captures henry's attention certainly and so it's only natural then that the kind of the one of the most interesting people at court and who is making a life out of writing about courtly love notices her it's it's to be expected Anne loves, like you said, she's good at the games and she enjoys those games of court. You know, she enjoys being the object of people's affections. Because I think, you know, 
if you're thinking about a woman's role in a courtly love situation, it's to be pursued, not to do the pursuing. Yeah, Anne Boleyn is very kind of keenly aware of not only how to play that game, but how to spin it to her advantage and how to play it so well that she might end up actually taking these flirtations to the next level with somebody like, you know, the king. I think that's what makes people want to think it's Anne in these poems, that that part of her maybe hasn't gone since she's gotten married. And that maybe even for her as well, it's still just, you know, nice to think that maybe someone's thinking of her that way. Because I I think everybody's guilty of that, right? Like everybody wants to be thought of by someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's look at that though, because the main basis for historians thinking that these poems especially the one that you know you heard at the beginning of the episode are about Anne is the idea the rumored idea oft repeated that Thomas Wyatt and Anne Boleyn had some kind of romance the level depends on um you know who you're reading but in researching for this episode it's clear to me that there was something but it's hard to tell exactly what it is because sources are so murky and there's a lot of little things that have to be strung together and it's just very foggy. Um, So we have to do our best to not necessarily fill in too many blanks with our own imaginations here, which I know a lot of people like to do. The sort of, I think, consensus though is that there was some kind of flirtation it's just trying to figure out whether it stopped at this courtly love thing that we're talking about or if it accelerated into actual feelings on one or both of their parts or indeed as a lot of Anne Boleyn's enemies later asserted a full-blown physical relationship. So if we're going just off this poem alone I think it's I think the line is flirtatious Because what he's talking about in this poem is somebody who is unobtainable and is literally a deer he cannot catch. If you're talking about something that's slithered in a net, I seek to hold the wind. That's something that is slipping through your fingers. So I think for me, and also what makes me think it's on the the flirty side, maybe etching into the dangerous side of flirty, is the line, please don't judge my Latin, there it's written, her fair neck around about, round about, nolly me tangere for Caesar's I am. Now, you can take that bit for Caesar's I am in many different ways, but I think for someone as politically savvy and astute as Thomas Wyatt, being conscious that the person he is showing his affection to is the king's, calling him Caesar is not a stretch. It's also kind of, I think, really indicative of how Anne knew that it wasn't just a game at this point. Like, Anne flirted with a lot of people. There are a lot of gentlemen at court, like uh, Tom Wyatt is one who is repeated a lot, um, but also Perry Percy, uh, Northumberland's son. They are very enamored by Anne, and Henry kind of comes in late if anything um onto the Anne train and I think once his attentions are serious like it's not just 
flirtations and dances. It's I'm interested in making you my mistress slash more. Anne realizes that she can't flirt with people anymore. And if indeed, as you say, this poem is about her, the idea is the line, um, Nole me tangere, is from the Bible. It's what Jesus says to Mary Magdalene when Mary first sees him resurrected. And it the implication is like, I'm a higher being now. I cannot be touched by you. And so if this is Anne saying it, she's basically saying to Wyatt, I've been raised up. I'm not on your level anymore. And Caesar's I am, obviously, the king has claimed me. So we can't do this anymore. The reason she slipped through his fingers is because she's been elevated. She's been claimed by the king. Wyatt's been put in his place. Also a warning to other people. Like, I've been burned. I've tried this. It didn't go well. She rebuked me. Don't do it. You know, don't don't be heartbroken like I was. Don't waste your energy like I did. Find someone on your level, literally, because she's not coming back down. <laughs> but the thing that's kind of missing from it that should give historians pause is that there's no direct link to Anne. There's no. nothing in the poem besides circumstantial stuff that suggests it even could be about her. There's nothing in the manuscript version that says, like, dedicated to Anne Boleyn, which I actually have seen on a couple of blogs, people saying that he specifically dedicated to this to her when that is not the case. Or if it is the case, he never wrote it down. So we can't say for sure. Um, a lot of people speculate, obviously, because as we said it's the last line alone is pretty, pretty good for uh, describing Anne's situation in the 1520s. But their relationship, the relationship between Wyatt and Anne is very mysterious. We just don't know enough about it. And if we're looking at the sources for it, besides the poetry, the really only good ones are an account written later in the 16th century by Wyatt's grandson, who obviously was not present for any of these events, and he's just kind of retelling family lore. And then later, Anne's, I don't want to say enemies, because they're writing stuff retroactively um, about her, but they're trying to smear her a bit. Uh, they're trying to show how unworthy she was to be queen. And one of the reasons they give is that she was, you know, flirting with all these guys and having affairs with all these guys, one of whom is Wyatt, who wrote her all his poetry. We just don't know, is the thing. I, I've said it 17 times, but it's true. I, I like the fact that there's a mystery. I think it's really, really fitting. And I like the fact that we can guess and we can play about with it and thinking, okay, maybe this is um, this would fit because of X, Y, and Z. It's Wyatt talking about the ideal, unattainable woman, whoever that may be. So I think also as well, what we have to remember about Wyatt is he is married. He does have a wife. However, it is not uncommon, you know, there's a it wasn't even uncommon by contemporary standards to talk about his marriage. Because he he was estranged from his wife due to her adultery. So, thinking about the poem and the unobtainable woman, it could even actually be about his wife. Because she's off doing other things with other people. 
and that she no longer quote belongs to him it's just something i was thinking about maybe it's a stretch maybe it's not i mean we're stretching in all kinds of directions here so go for it but i think that's a realistic point to stop because where does it stop you know like i was reading um eric ives who for those who don't know is like one of the you know foremost biographers of anne boleyn and he devotes pages to just going through Wyatt's poems and being like, oh, this this poem is about a brunette lady who Wyatt is in love with. So obviously that must be Anne. And this one has a pun in Latin where it translates into Anna. So obviously that's her. And while I can't say for sure that it's not her, we equally can't say for sure that it is. So at what point do, do we just say, sorry, I don't know. Do you know what? I was actually on Instagram the other day and there was a historian who was actually saying that we need to normalise saying that. That it's okay as people who study history to say, I don't know. And we can give our reasoning for why we think a particular thing. But at the end of the day, sometimes we have to be satisfied with the unknown. For now, though, I think what we do know is that there was some kind of flirtation between the two enough that people talk about it later, mm -hmm. but probably not as much as Anne's enemies and quotation marks want it to be. And even if we accept the fact that the poetry may be about Anne, by reading the poetry, we can see that um, the love is at this very courtly romance level. It is see but don't touch it is flirt at but know when to step back and tom wyatt i think was somebody who like henry enjoyed the game of it he liked to be in love he liked the idea of flirting and love so it's natural then that he engaged in these games in the same way that Anne did too so I think it's worth mentioning that even though, you know, we can speculate about this poem and we can, you know, come up with our own theories about who it who it involved and, and who it didn't involve, Wyatt and Anne's courtly romance, if you want to call it that, did not escape the eyes of other people and was actually kind of used against Wyatt and Anne. So when Anne was arrested on her charges of adultery, and her five people, uh, her the five men, including her brother George, who uh, um, followed her to the tower and were executed alongside her. Wyatt himself was actually caught up in it. Now he had the good sense not to annoy Cromwell, and <laughs> was released and not charged with anything. He he went on to conduct um, after his stint in the tower. He went on to. Um, conduct um more more ambassador trips on behalf of henry the eighth and um continue to be one of his representatives so he did he, he 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 escaped with his life which was one thing and continued to be at court which is something else entirely i think it's really bloody impressive and was very kind of keenly aware of the i don't know like melancholy nature of his relationship to Anne and the rest of the Boleyns too because while he was in the tower and all of the others were being executed for whatever trumped up charges 
he wrote a eulogy for them basically where like he goes down the line and he writes about how sad it is that all of you know these men especially are being executed for nothing really and how their deaths are so untimely and everything so very keenly aware of i think just how close he came he thomas white's that really cool he's super interesting and i think he's independently interesting enough to history without the drama that's added I think that's the thing that makes this story so intriguing is that none of it is a stretch of the imagination, right? Like even reading the poem and admitting to ourselves that this probably actually isn't about Anne, just because there's no evidence to suggest that it is. There's still that part of our brain that's like, is it though? There's a lot of intriguing evidence and there's a lot of evidence that's believable. It's just that the actual hard evidence isn't there. And that's kind of to your point earlier, that's where you have to say, okay, fine, we don't know. And I'm going to come back to, and that's okay. <laughs> but fun to look at the poems mm -hmm. on their own, especially the one that we read, and just kind of appreciate it not only as a huge achievement in English literature, right? You know, a really remarkable piece of English literature, but as an insight into the Tudor court and like how the games of romance worked. I mean, if you weren't interested in courtly politics and courtly love before listening to this episode, firstly, why are you okay? We can send help. And but I feel like you're gonna be I feel like you're gonna be after this because if nothing else, it's just fun and it's gossipy and it's just it's a nice it's yeah. a different way to be at interacting with Tudor history. I know I love when the different disciplines interact, um, when we can bring the culture into it too and understand how these people saw the world and what their world was like. It's always really fun. So definitely if you haven't, um, you know, if you didn't go look up the poem that we were talking about while we were talking about it, go definitely go do it. I'll link the title in the description so you can find it easier. Just Google it, but also look at his other poems because they're just really cool. And it's just even cooler to know that they survive as kind of a window into what these people thought of as like culture. You know, it's their version of pop culture, which is always really cool. So the context for this poem is Anne Boleyn, question mark. Uh, you know, you said already that you're of the opinion that it's not. I just think it would be a mistake for it to be about Anne when he's talking so clearly. <laughs> you, you know, he's not silly. He's not leaving his I love Anne Boleyn notebook about with his quill with her pictures all over of her all over it. I just, I think it could be. And like I said, I think it airs on the side of flirty, but I don't think it is. Woody, where are you coming? Where do you, where are you falling? I'm there too. Um, I don't, it's sort of a, um, you know, the lawyer route of without further evidence, I can't confirm or deny um and we don't have the evidence so i'm going to kind of remove myself from the argument uh but i think it's very the last line about you know uh noli me tangere for caesar's i am it's a really famous line that's now associated with anne and i think even if you don't think that the poem is specifically written for or about her it echoes her life and her experience so well yeah that it is now but 
probably I like that. Even if it wasn't, (laughs) it is now. And I think that's so true. So let us know, uh, you know, sort of where you stand, where you, on the poem, if you like it or not, whether you think it's about Anne or you just like that it could be, kind of makes it fun. Uh, We'd love to have the debate with you all too. But for now, we're leaving it there. Um, that's kind of everything that we manically researched in the last 24 hours. <laughs> and now I'm going to manically edit. So we will see you on Valentine's Day. And hopefully it just gives you a little, little something a little bit fun to celebrate the day. Who doesn't love a good early modern love poem? Exactly. And if you are celebrating Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. I hope you have a better better love life going on or aspiring love life than Thomas Wyatt.